anger does not destroy, hate does. Anger provides energy so we may engage in analysis and protest, survival and justice. And today's text, Jonah marches through the city proclaiming repentance. And could it be that Jonah stands in a long prophetic tradition? That anger, when it is not rage but righteousness, can be a creative harness to declare a vision of what God intends for the world. That's the Reverend Brandon Harris, and today he shares a powerful message of faith called Anybody But Me. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. I'm your guest host, Dalton Rushing, and today on Day One, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Brandon Harris, Associate Dean for Religious and Spiritual Life at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, a position he accepted last fall. Previously, he served as a Protestant chaplain at Georgetown University and was the youngest senior minister to lead the historic People's Congregational Church in Washington, D.C. Brandon is a graduate of the Lincoln University of Pennsylvania and earned his Master of Divinity and Certificate in Black Church Studies and Baptist Studies at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. He's currently a doctoral student in the New York Theological Seminary. Brandon, welcome to Day One. Thanks. Glad to be here. We're pleased to have you with us because it's been nearly 10 years since you last preached on Day One as an FTE fellow when you were studying at Candler. You've had a robust ministry since then, and you're just getting started. So you began your current ministry last October at the University of Southern California. What does a typical week look like for you nowadays? I don't know if there's ever a typical week, (laughs) but uh, worship begins on Sunday evenings uh, Mm. with Trojan Church at USC. It's an interdenominational Uh, inclusive worship service of students, faculty, staff, and alumni Mm. uh, with guest preachers from across the city of Los Angeles every Sunday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. And so we guarantee the students uh, that they have enough time to worship and then get back to studying. Mm. Uh, Then uh, normally uh, Tuesdays are very busy days full of coffee meetings with students. We run a free vegan cafe that feeds over 200 students every week on Tuesday afternoons staff meetings, uh, meetings with other colleagues from across the university. Uh, And then every week, uh, it depends. I could be meeting with our 90 different spiritual and religious organizations on campus, checking in with our 50-plus chaplains Mm. that report to our office, uh, meeting with colleagues in student life, or representing our office. Uh, Part of my role is community outreach, and so meeting with local pastors. Uh, And then on Sundays mornings, if I'm not in my local church, I'm often preaching in local churches representing the university. Brandon, you've been at USC since last fall. That's certainly a diverse community. Could you talk to us a little bit about the challenges and the joys of working in that particular setting? That's a great question. So there are 90 different spiritual and religious organizations that report to our office and 50 different chaplains and a university campus of 50,000 students Mm. in the most religiously diverse city in the world. Wow. And so uh, one of the great joys is being able to learn constantly uh, from different traditions and backgrounds. Uh, Even just the other week, we were taking a religious life survey of our students, and I learned about six religions I didn't even know existed. Wow! And so uh, being able to constantly, I think, meet people where they are to hear their story, 
I think, uh, to quote Howard Thurman, I get the chance to constantly hear the sound of the genuine in others. And mm -hmm. so it's a great joy to be able to, I think, work in these different communities and find ways to build bridges between groups that may not work together. And so uh, one evening, it means that I may be at Shabbat dinners um, with Chabad and Hillel. Uh, and then the next day, I'm at a Christian worship service or that is led by our Korean students. And then that next Monday, I'm running a pop-up barbershop that's primarily mm. serving international students from India. And so it's a great opportunity, I think, to see the world in one place. Uh, the challenges of it, of course, is that with religious diversity are all the things that, that make the world the world take place on campus. Mm -hmm. And so as an administrator trying to help folks to work through those nuances and challenges in ways that are productive uh, and not challenging is often difficult, but we do so with lots of coffee and, and great humor. And just, I think, taking the time to listen to folks and hearing folks out makes all the difference in the world. Brandon, what advice do you have for our listeners who may find themselves in religiously diverse situations? I think curiosity mm. um, uh, and, and quoting Krista Stendhal to have holy envy. Where can I learn uh, from another religious tradition? Uh, what about their tradition sparks curiosity in me? What do they have in their tradition that I wish that I had? And so I think having an open mind and a curious heart and the willingness to enter into spaces, uh, and that means placing yourself on the margin. Mm. Um, that means you may not be the center of the space. It means you may be unfamiliar. It may, means you may not know the prayers and what's happening. But having an open mind really stretches us in really incredible ways. You'd served for three years as senior minister of the People's Congregational Church in Washington, D.C. Give us a sense of the history and ministry of that historic church. Yeah, People's Church is an incredible congregation. Uh, it is 132 years old, founded out of uh, split at Asbury Methodist Episcopal Church, now Asbury United Methodist Church in D.C. Uh, it has a long and storied history of social activism in the city of the arts. Uh, it's a congregation that had many uh, professors and faculty and staff of Howard University. Uh, every single minister of the church, all 10 of us, have all been college professors wow. or served universities at the same time or have been deans um, at a college at the same time. And so there's a deep commitment to education, uh, a deep commitment to the life of the mind, uh, and then a deep commitment to the arts. So there are a number of jazz artists who are mm. members of the church. And so our congregation was notorious for our jazz series and our jazz worship services uh, and was widely known in the community for that. And you were deeply involved at Georgetown University as a Protestant chaplain. You taught courses on African-American religious thought, lived as a chaplain in residence, and served as the co-chair of the Martin Luther King Jr. Initiative. So was that experience what led you to move from a pastoral ministry setting to serving at USC? What was it that drew you there? Uh, what drew me uh, to USC uh, was the opportunity to both bridge my experience as having been a senior pastor of a local congregation and the experience of working at Georgetown. USC allows me the best of both worlds in uh, serving our students, but also getting to be an administrator, uh, helping to lead a congregation, but I am not the main preacher on Sunday evening. And so it's a great opportunity to use the multiplicity of gifts, but also my commitment both to the local church and the academy. You received numerous awards at Candler School of Theology, including the Frederick Buechner Preaching Award. So preaching is obviously important to you. How do you approach communicating God's message today? I use the Sankofa principle in preaching. Mm -hmm. I'm often thinking about uh, how do we look back in order to go forward? Uh, 
what was God doing in the text then? What was God doing in the world then? Uh, and then how do we see what God is doing in the world now in order to move forward? Um, I believe history is deeply important. Anyone who's ever been a member of any congregation I've served can tell you uh, that in every sermon, you're going to hear some reference to history mm. and some reference to art or poetry or literature, because I think it's important to celebrate one's history and mm. one's story and one's community and one's people in order to create a vision for where God might be calling us towards in the future. You earned a bachelor's in political science and religion from Lincoln University, and later you were ordained at the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. So how did your call to ordain ministry unfold for you? That's a great question. And the short version uh, is, uh, I thank God for the United Methodist Church mm. um, as a Baptist. Uh, I had a professor uh, who was a retired United Methodist elder who said, you have a call to the ministry. Uh, mm. and I said, absolutely not. Um, and he invited me to serve his congregation, West Grove United Methodist Church in West Grove, Pennsylvania, as a, an intern for a semester. And that semester turned into a year. Um, and I answered my call to ministry at uh, the Eastern Pennsylvania Conference at a young adult discernment retreat um, and felt God's tug uh, through that experience of, of serving that church. But it was, the I think, the experience of seeing pastors and ministers who were engaged in the life of the mind, who were committed to social justice, um, but also combined my childhood experience of growing up Pentecostal mm. and had a deep spirituality. And so I think seeing folks who had a deep spirituality, a deep commitment um, to scripture and, and a deep commitment at the same time, both to a life of the mind and to social justice. Brandon, today, as we continue in the season of Epiphany, your sermon focuses on the Old Testament lesson from Jonah chapter 3. Would you read it for us? Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So this is the second time the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and you'll give us the context in your message, but what stood out for you in this text as you prepared your sermon? One of the things I wrestled with in the sermon, and if I had a longer time to preach, I would have wrestle with it more is this idea of grace that runs through Hmm. um, and the idea of hearing something a second time. The fact that it takes Jonah a second time to respond to God, but the people of Nineveh respond the first time. Um, And this idea that that grace works uh, whether one responds the first time or the Hmm. second time, maybe the fifth time, um, But whatever it takes, God's grace still sort of chases after us, no matter how many times it takes for us to respond. Amen. Well, Brandon, we look forward to hearing your message on this. It's called Anybody But Me. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Brandon Harris with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110.
This is Day One guest host Dalton Rushing. In these challenging times, I'm so grateful for the impact this faith-building program, Day One, is making in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world. This year, we celebrate 79 years of faithful weekly ministry. If you appreciate this uplifting program, I hope you'll support our work with a generous donation now. You can mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or give securely online at dayone.org. From all of us at Day One, thank you and God bless you. As a seminarian, one of the most popular hymns sung during chapel was Here I Am, Lord, by Dan Shute. Sung with great zeal and passion, the strains of the organ lifting our voices in song, we would sing Here I Am, Lord, it is I, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. It is easy to sing in the confines of a seminary chapel, 
But what happens when God calls us to people, places, communities, we would rather not go? In today's passage, the prophet Jonah is sent to Nineveh. We are introduced to Jonah, son of Amittai, in chapter 1. An Israelite prophet who receives a divine summons from God to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of a nation that symbolized the overwhelming and ruthless power of empire. Israel had long been a victim of Assyria's brutality. Yet God calls Jonah to go into the heart of the empire and proclaim a message of repentance. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. After all, what oppressed person wants to be sent to those who've been their oppressor? The story of Jonah is one of the most familiar narratives in Scripture. Whether one is familiar with the Bible or not, we have some vague notion or recollection of a story about Jonah running from God, being overthrown off a ship into a raging sea, and being swallowed by some sea creature, whether a whale or a big fish or something of some sort. There is more to the story of Jonah than a fish and a fleeing prophet. While in today's passage, Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh, it is not with a winsome message of grace. It is a call towards destruction. In chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah does not walk around proclaiming the love of God or a message of grace and reconciliation. He preaches a message full of wrath. And Jonah's message is shocking towards our postmodern ecclesial sensibilities. Some theologians, after all, have argued that Jonah is a nationalist with a narrow view of to whom God wants to speak. Jonah, they argue, balks at Nineveh because he believes that they don't deserve mercy. However, could it be that Jonah, as a member of an oppressed people group, has every right to be angry at Nineveh? Could it be that Jonah is, as Howard Thurman writes, a member of one of those who have had their backs against the wall? That as an oppressed person, Jonah has every right to be angry at their oppressor? Jesseong Justin Ryu writes that as long as oppression or colonization and its painful memories are ongoing, how can the oppressed hide their anger? Could it be that we expect Jonah to respond with an immediate yes of gratitude towards God's summons? Audrey Lord reminds us that anger does not destroy, hate does. Anger provides energy so we may engage in analysis and protest, survival and justice. And today's text, Jonah marches through the city proclaiming repentance. And could it be that Jonah stands in a long prophetic tradition? That anger, when it is not rage but righteousness, can be a creative harness to declare a vision of what God intends for the world. That God's call to the most unlikely of places is both for our transformation and the transformation of the world. God often uses those on the margins to speak truth to power. God has sent Jonah right into the midst of the empire to declare a word from the Lord. And God has used prophets throughout history to speak God's word of truth in the midst of the oppressor. God has used prophets like Maria Stewart, the first woman and the first African-American woman to deliver a public speech in American history in Boston in the 1830s, declaring a word of liberation to slavery and an end to sexism. God has used prophets like James Baldwin, Martin Luther King Jr., Katie Cannon, Barbara Jordan, and Polly Murray to remind a nation and world embroiled in injustice to repent. 
to return, to turn back to God and to right relationship with one another. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, the people respond to this message. They believe God. Nineveh and the Assyrians have been large and in charge. They have been the center of one of the most violent empires in world history. They were known for their violent torture of their victims, and now a message has been declared that in 40 days they will be destroyed, and they respond in humility and contrition. They believe God, and we ought to be careful that we do not miss the voice of the Lord because of where it comes from or what it looks like and what it sounds like. God uses an Israelite, the very people Nineveh was oppressing, to speak to them. And in this text, we witness an empire prone to violence and social injustice repent and change. Assyria, the avowed enemy of Israel, responds to the message of this Israelite prophet. And that is the thing about prophetic summons. God's voice comes from unlikely places, at unlikely moments, at unlikely times. And what is incredible about this passage is not only that the people of Nineveh repent, we see the heart and character of God. We see God change God's mind. Now, like me, you may be thought that God was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But what we witness is that God's heart and God's character is mercy. And that God, as theologian Valerie Bridgman argues, is a God who is a radically free agent unbound by human theological expectations. That God shows mercy both to Nineveh and to Jonah. That this God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. That this God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This God, who in Jesus Christ reconciles us back to God's self, continues to fill us with the surprises of mercy and grace. Prophetic summons may come in righteous anger and rage. It may be a voice echoing from protest and pulpits and the words of essayists, but these summons are to something far greater. They are a call to a love that will not let us go, a love that will not let us oppress our neighbor or stay hiding in the belly of a sea creature. It is a love that will follow us to the farthest reaches of the sea or even into the very heart of empire. It is a love that will keep searching and calling and summoning and beckoning until we respond, Here I am, Lord. Let us pray. Here we are, Lord, responding to your call of love over and over and over again. And we thank you for that love that will not let us go. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Brandon Harris, Associate Dean for Religious and Spiritual Life at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. For a free transcript of a sermon today, Anybody But Me, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. At this important time in our ministry, we're grateful for your generous donation. Please send your gift to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305, or donate online at day1.org. And thank you.
And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. Visit us online anytime at dayone.org. I'm Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're pleased to have with us the Reverend Caroline Smith, Senior Pastor of Parkway Baptist Church in Duluth, Georgia. Her message is titled, The Liberating Power of Christ. Be sure to join us next time on Day One. Our day one preacher, Brandon Harris, offers some final reflections on his sermon today called Anybody But Me. And Brandon, thank you for challenging us with Jonah's story. Finally, Jonah answered God's call to prophesy to Nineveh, and you said his message was not one of love and grace. It was a call to destruction full of wrath, which can be pretty shocking to our postmodern ecclesial sensibilities. But you said as a member of an oppressed group, Jonah has every right to be angry at Nineveh. Could it be, you asked us, that Jonah stands in a long prophetic tradition that anger, when it is not rage but righteousness, can be a creative way to declare a vision of what God intends for the world? And this makes me wonder if we believers should consider following Jonah's example of righteous anger for justice and equality today. What do you think? What might that look like? Hmm. I think I would begin with first uh, that anger scares us. It was Lama Rod Owens, a Buddhist monk, who points out the, the potential and the creativity of, of anger. And I think uh, for today, I think we have to go, what, what upsets us about the world that might actually be God's invitation to us to respond? Poverty and uh, mass incarceration or what we watch on the news that, that moves us, that anger is just the initial reaction, mm-hmm. right? And any therapist will tell us, right, that we, we move past anger to yes. deeper emotions. Uh, and then with curiosity, we ask ourselves, what is actually underneath it? Mm. And so I think scripture does that, that whenever we see anger in scripture, it's the initial reaction, but it's moving us towards something else, maybe an invitation towards compassion, maybe an invitation to respond, mm. maybe an invitation to care for our neighbor, to feed our neighbor, to clothe our neighbor. And so we see this in Jesus. When, when Jesus gets angry in the temple, mm-hmm. um, that anger is an initial reaction to something deeper, right? That God's house has now not become a place of justice and care for those who are on the margins. It's become something completely different. In Jonah's case, the Ninevites respond. They believe God. They hear Jonah's message that in 40 days God will destroy them, and they respond in humility and contrition. And God changes God's mind because of their heartfelt response. So, you told us, we too ought to be careful that we do not miss the voice of God because of where it comes from or what it looks like and sounds like. God's voice can come from unlikely people and places at unlikely times. How do we prepare ourselves to hear that voice, not to react to it, but to listen and respond in faith? I think our our first reaction often to hearing prophetic summons is defensiveness. And maybe rightly so. Hmm. Maybe we are defensive because we're afraid of, could I be complicit? Could Hmm. I be guilty? Am I part of this? But I think when we allow ourselves to actually attune ourselves to our emotions and whether it's through preaching when we're responding to hearing a sermon, whether uh, it is in a conversation with someone else, I think taking the moment to take a deep breath, to step Mm. back, to pause, and to say, what's actually really being said here? Mm. 
And it's not personal. It's aimed towards something different and deeper. And so I think bodily awareness is something that we need to cultivate more in, mm. in worship and in, in church. And um, the Reverend Adrian Thorne at the Riverside Church, uh, I love that before her sermon, she invites the congregation to stretch mm. um, and to, to pause uh, so that they can physically prepare themselves to hear the sermon. I think that being aware of our own sense of selves so that we can hear what God is saying to us is really important. Brandon, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? That God summons to us, uh, whether we are the one doing the summoning or the one responding to it, is always an act of grace. Uh, it's an, always an invitation towards God. Brandon Harris, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Mm -hmm.